0: You're listening to the product podcast from Product School, featuring the best product leaders from Silicon Valley and beyond. If you're an aspiring product manager looking for your first PM role or an experienced PM looking to level up your skills and advance your career, visit productschool.com to learn about our certifications and how we'll get you there. This episode is brought to you by Amplitude the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders answer the question, how do our digital products drive our business? 1,400 plus customers, including Atlassian, Instacart, and Under Armour, rely on Amplitude's product analytics. Get started at Amplitude.com. Today, we're closing out our Women Who Build season of the product podcast with another inspirational product leader. We are joined by Michelle Parsons, CPO at Hinge, we will be sharing ways to create powerful connections in order to locate your future product mentor. Learn how to find people who will support and inspire you so that you can take your ideas and career to the next level.
1: Hey everyone, this is Carlos. I'm the founder and CEO at Product School. Today I'm here with Michelle Parsons, who's the Chief Product Officer at Hinge. Hey Michelle.
2: Hey Carlos, thanks so much for having me on today.
1: Thank you for joining for the show. I know you are very active in the product community. Uh, and, and I love that, and I think it's time now to, to have you with us and, and learn more about your own experience growing as a leader. So let's start from the very beginning. How did you get your first PM job?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think even before my first PM job, I think I didn't even really know that product was a role, was an, op- was an option for a career. Um, kind of going back to my undergrad years, I was pre-med, I was, I was pretty straight and narrow on that path. Um, And it was my senior year of college that I was kind of having an existential crisis. You know, should I actually go down this pathway and invest a lot more time and and money into this field that I wasn't as... um, I think, um, passionate about anymore. I still I still wanted to really help people, but having kind of spent so many years um, in the summers working in hospitals and with doctors, I started to kind of get a bit jaded, right? There are some pretty big foundational problems um, with the healthcare system that really expanded beyond healthcare into education and access and other things of that nature. Um, and so I took a step back and I said, well, you know, I'm not sure that I want to necessarily go into Medical school now, so let, let me see what else is what else is out there. What else can I do? Um, I ended up joining Teach for America, and I ended up teaching high school science. Like, well, I, I know science really well. I was an education minor, and so I said, why, why don't I kind of take this pathway in? And you know, if I notice that oh, a foundational problem to you know medical care and access is education it's kind of a predisposition there. You know, level of education and level of access. Um, how do I help? You know, really teach the next generation of, of kids. And so I spent two years in the classroom, really started to, to realize that, wow, there's a lot of, of gaps here as well. Um, I, I'm from South Texas, so I was very aware of, you know, underfunded, underserved communities. I grew up in one. Um, I'm from a single mom household myself and, you know, um, something that I I was very much like in my in my um, worldview. And so I started realizing, hey, I don't have the the tools or the resources to actually, you know, move my students um, in the direction that we're supposed to be going. So I ended up having to just leverage a lot of things that I created, started searching online, what what tools can I use? What um, exercises can I kind of download? How do I incorporate technology into my classroom since I don't actually have textbooks for every single one of my students? Um, it was then that I started realizing, okay, well, now that I have these resources, I'm I'm constantly going, you know, online for, um, how do I actually track and measure whether the things that I'm teaching are actually having the outcomes that I think they're having? And so I started leveraging um, basically an Excel tracker. I mean, one of the things I think that Teach for America really instills is backwards planning, objective focus, decision making, and, and uh, you know education really. And so I basically built a tracker. I put every single objective into this Excel tracker with all of my students, you know, aligned every single lesson and question that I was, you know, that I was teaching to these and would weekly look back and say, all right, you know, are my kids actually making progress and movement in this area? Um, You know, if so, awesome, which ones aren't? How do I pair these two together? If all my students are are not succeeding in this one area, um, let me like Go back and reflect. Maybe it was something that I that I did. Maybe it was a way in which I was teaching that in that particular uh, day or that that objective. And so all these little little things, you know, how do you organize a classroom? How do you motivate a classroom and kids to kind of, you know, do their do their work and be engaged and be excited? Um, we're all kind of just like little moments where I was like, oh, I like this and I like that. Um, and really, when I reflect on kind of products now. It, A lot of the things that I was doing in that classroom actually have a lot of parallels into what product management is. Um, So it was then right after I was teaching, I was, determining, you know, what's my next move? What's What do I want to do next? And I found EdTech. And I said, hey, this seems like a, a way to actually um, increase my scale, increase my reach beyond just a classroom of 160 kids. So I joined a small EdTech startup called Alleyoop that was an incubated startup within Pearson Education, the big publisher. And so it was a really great way for me to first like kind of get my first exposure to product but also very much um, step into it i really started as a content metadata analyst and so not necessarily on product but
0: given that we only had
2: 30 people in the whole company you know you're very much able to kind of reach your hand into various aspects of hey this needs to get done and who's willing to who's willing to pick it up
1: So basically you've been doing product management even before they gave you the title
2: I, i think so yeah absolutely in, in, in certain aspects, right? Definitely not the full product manager job, but, but things around it, you know, customer interviews, SWOT analysis, um, working with data scientists and data to uncover you know different patterns. And so always around it. And it wasn't until kind of my next role after that startup that I was really able to dig in and start working directly with engineers and solving my own kind of um, areas.
1: I find your story really inspiring for many reasons. One of them, like you following your passion to help people apply to healthcare first, then education, now technology, but always finding ways to connect your skills with your, your user. And and I think that sends a really powerful message to people out there who are trying to figure out what to do next. And they might be hearing messages such as, well, you need to have an MBA from this school or you need to have sort of a certain degree from this other school. Well, While I'm sure all of that can help, that's not the only way and there's a lot of things that someone can do today, now, and you are a clear example and a very, you know, obviously now we, we continue discussing your career, but but I love how you actually got started.
2: No, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that and I think that's it. that's spot on. Um, There's no one clear path into product management. And I think as a field and as the industry has has really taken off and more and more people become interested in it, um, I think there are are some avenues now that you can kind of put yourself into to, to getting that experience more quickly. But I definitely have heard a lot of interesting stories, you know, from... I I was talking to Ravi Mehta, who's the former CPO of of Tinder, who said he showed up to Microsoft one day thinking he was doing a software engineering um, interview, and he ended up in a product manager um, interview. And it was just totally by accident that this happened. Um, But that kind of set his career off in in product. And so I think there's many unique stories for how people can can get into product, for sure.
1: It's funny, because Ravi shared that, his own story on this podcast (laughs) not so long ago. And I was looking at your professional career, and you worked at other amazing companies such as Kayak, Spotify, Netflix. Now you're the CPO at Hinge. And it happened in a relatively short period of time compared to when you started applying your official product management title. So what happened there? How were you able to grow so fast in your career?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true. It's always a question I get asked, like, how did you do this? Um, look, I think there's a couple of things. So I, I don't want to downplay the role of mentorship and, and advisors um, and people in my life around me who have really helped um, helps me when I have questions, when I, you know, come with ideas to really support and enable. I think, as I mentioned, I, I'm from a single mom household. So the first person in my my house, my family to go to college, and I really had to advocate for myself. I had to have like the gumption the drive to go out there and just knock on doors. Well, figurative, figuratively, not literally, but, you know, reach out to people and just try and get advice for, hey, this is what I'm thinking I want to do. Like, how should I go about it? Or here's how I'm thinking of go about going about things, like how have you done it before? Um, and I think that all of those things have equipped me with the baseline skills of just asking a lot of questions, um, which I think is, is directly tied into, you know, what makes a successful product manager and product leader is you have a lot of curiosity tied in with the ability to actually execute on that right. Take in all those different pieces of information and then transform that into a plan and a vision and then execute upon it. So I think that that's the initial you know the other piece of product that I really love and gravitated toward was the balance of art and science. Um, As somebody who you know is is infinitely curious and always daydreaming and always thinking about like the what-ifs and the problems to solve um, I tend to be very practical and pragmatic in, in my approaches to things. How do I take, you know, controlled risk and not just kind of go go wild? But um, I think those two things that my science background coupled with just the insatiable, you know, urge to ask a lot of questions and then take all that input and then go put it into action um, has definitely helped me in my career, especially early on when you really need a showcase that you're able to execute and get things done, right? People want to build trust in you. And I think that's really important. Um, and early on, I was able to gain that trust.
1: And, and I think that um, looking for help, whatever type of help it is that shows your first curiosity in, in growing, but also certain level of vulnerability to, to say that you are here to learn. And, and yeah. that also creates a deeper connection. So on the topic of mentorship, is there anything in particular that you would recommend for people who if they've heard this kind of advice before, but they don't really know how to find that mentor or group of mentors or whatever that might be, that is really going to be a, a thought partner for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's no one, you know, stop shop or one way to, to find mentors. I mean, there are a lot of programs out there. So I think that's one, right? You can go into a variety of different already established programs. Um, uh, Paths to into finding mentors, finding advisors. I think one of the thing, you know, those those are more uh, restrictive, though, right? Because there's a lot of people applying into those pathways. So one of the things that I did is, is look for people within my organization. So back when I was in that startup, uh, we were nestled within the larger Pearson Education um, organization. So I just started looking at people who were in that, you know, in leadership or in roles maybe one or two two steps above me, and saying, well. These people seem to be in areas that I want to gain some knowledge and skills in. Can I set up a meeting with them, right, with very specific questions that I wanted to get to to know or or learn about? But also, I think the key thing that really opened up the door for me with those individuals, so when I identified, I I really had a very established, you know, agenda. Here's what I want to learn. Here's what I'm interested in doing. Here's how I'm going to apply it. I think is really critical when you're dealing with how do you get someone to expend their time on something they don't know? Right, they want actually want to know that you're going to take this insights and go apply it in some some way. Um, then I would follow up, right? Thank you for your time, and here's how I took all this information, and here's what I did with it, and here was the outcome of that, because I think it really showed people that I was in a I was listening, and wow, if they invested their time in me, there could be they get that could pay dividends, right? Maybe not for them as individuals, but for the things that I could then go do and go impact, and so you know, that that to me is really critical. When I, even when people come to me for advice or mentorship, I really am looking for like, is this time well spent? Is this person coming prepared? Are they coming with questions? Are they coming with ways that they're going to apply this? And then what's that follow-up look like? Because follow-up is actually the hardest part of all of this. Once you've gotten that, do you maintain that relationship and do you add value back and forth right across the table?
1: Yeah, you come from a Teaching or educator background, which uh, you appreciate what it is to be on the other side. And now that you are a chief product officer, and I'm sure you are also mentoring other people. And an example of that is what you are doing right now, uh, sharing your story. Other than, like, how do you go about picking the right mentees? Because I can imagine you have very limited time. Uh, is there any advice you would give to people to find the right mentor and make sure that, that when that mentor receives that proposal, they pay attention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think A it's like, well, when it, when a when a person comes, you know with with a, with an ask or a request or with some with some questions like am I actually able to help <laughs> do I have the skill set in the background and the experiences to add meaningful meaningful value here or do I know somebody else in my network who I, who are who is maybe better equipped to to help in this space right there might be things that I am stronger in um and things that I'm not strong in right like actually just having picked up this role here I realized like, I actually haven't done a lot of like pure monetization work um, i spent my life really in, in my career in consumer and search discovery very much front end facing explore experience type of of roles and i was trying to get a handle on the whole world of monetization and how that works i'm like wow i really don't know anything so i have to go out there now and look for for people who can actually help you know answer my questions and guide me so i think it, it never stops right i'm looking for people who um just have that spark, and who who are really able to articulate very clearly what they're what they're looking for and what their plans and goals are. Um, that to me is is of critical importance. I think my mind is just wired that way. Like, what's your outcome? Like, what you know, what are you doing, or what are the areas you think you need to like grow grow or develop in, or or you know where you're struggling, and then how can I then really discreetly you know pick where I can actually add value? If it's just a bi- really big amorphous like. I'd love to get into product, but that's really hard for me to work with because I don't know kind of where you're starting um, or what areas you need to, you need to level up or, or refine in.
1: Yeah, I, I see that all the time. Uh, this thing in, in Silicon Valley would say, a lot of people say yes. So if you message enough, someone would say, yes, I'm going to grab coffee or a virtual coffee with you.
0: This episode is brought to you by Amplitude the pioneer in digital optimization software that helps product leaders innovate faster and smarter by answering the strategic question, how do our digital products drive our business? 1,400-plus customers like Atlassian, Instacart, and Under Armour rely on Amplitude's best-in-class product analytics solution to unlock insights, build winning products faster, and turn products into revenue. Get started at Amplitude.com. The reality
1: is... the the mentor also needs to perceive that there's a true interest in in next steps so there's actually another coffee and another coffee and and i I think it's important to recognize that it's better to go deep with a few people and build that relationship and and make sure there is a value exchange there rather than just having a first-time coffee with uh, 25 different people and really just scratch the surface absolutely in your case um you I i like that you recognize you're also learning you mentioned of now and and i think it's also good to recognize how mentorship or the mentor role can change like maybe someone who was really helpful for you at some point in your career now you're at a different stage and you want to find different type of help different type of mentors and that's okay i think it's part of lifelong learning you don't have to commit to the same person for the rest of your life like as if it was a marriage
2: absolutely no i i think that's exactly spot on right and, and oftentimes those those people in your network or in your, your sphere can oftentimes recommend other people. And so, you know, that's, that's been the case with me. I, I've recently had to, to dig in a little bit more around internationalization. How do we do that? And, and there's people who are in my network who can have, you know, introduced me to other people who have been, you know, invaluable and in just my own knowledge. Um, and so I think that that's really important just to continue to, to develop and, and build in, in those relationships for sure.
1: So, Michelle, for people who are uh, not in the dating market and are not aware of Hinge, what does your product do and please give us an scale of, of the, the users?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Hinge is a, is a mobile dating app. Um, we are kind of in the same sphere as, as Tinder and Bumble and kind of the other apps that are out there. You know, our goal is really to drive meaningful connection. Um, I think what sets us apart from other apps is our mission, our 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 goal, um, and our vision really is to be the dating app designed to be deleted, and that might just seem like a catchy tagline, you know, on it on the surface. But we really live, breathe, and, and act um, with that with that motto in mind, with that tagline in mind. What does it mean to be designed to be deleted? Well, that really predicates that we have ways to measure what deletion means, right, and positively. So we want to ensure that we are getting our users out on well-intentioned, great dates. Um, So purposefully, our onboarding flow is much longer than our competitors, right? We purposely don't have a swipe mechanism that is, you know, very popular in other apps. We really make sure that you're taking time to get to know the person on the other side of that profile so that by the time that you do hit yes or no, you know, you have, you're have you excited about potentially getting to, to meet that person. Um, and so, you know, we are... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we we're we've been growing um, exponentially, and so we're, we're very excited about kind of our trajectory. I think that especially with the pandemic and and everything that we've been going through as, as society in the past uh, two years, almost it's crazy to even say that. Um, you know, people I think are are looking for uh, more authentic, more real ways to connect with each other. You know, whether that be virtually or or in person. Um, and I, and I think that we just have so much opportunity in this area to continue to press on that particular piece, right? You know, where you think about 10 years ago in the era of like Facebook and Instagram and just continuing filters, curation and, and um, you know, the, the facade almost, right? I think we've gotten really accustomed to that. And I think the past two years have like really almost like jolted us to say, wait a minute, like I'm not okay always. And my life is not perfect. I'm not okay. And it's finally become okay to just say that. And I think what we're trying to do and what I'm really excited about is, you know, Hinge is really well positioned to really own that intention space where we make it okay for you to just express your authentic self and not this curated set of six photos and you know, et cetera. So that's what that's what kind of we're doing right now and I'm very excited about, you know, our future here for sure.
1: And how did your roadmap change during the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, so I I actually joined remotely. So I I was a fully remote um, employee having to figure out everybody in this whole organization and what we were doing and how we were working. And really the team had gone through, um, it had doubled in size during the pandemic, um, which is, which is pretty phenomenal if you ask me. Um, And still really maintained its core fabric, its core culture, which I, I, I found just inspiring and impressive. Um, You know, the roadmap change in that, well, our, our, Goal is to get people out on in person dates, and that came to a halt, right? And so we really quickly had to pivot and figure out okay, well, what can we do to still ensure that people are connecting? No one wants to sit on text forever. Um, So we really quickly had to integrate video and audio um, as just a, a core, you know, foundation in our app. Um, and then through that, we're also just learning a lot about what people are looking for, how hard it is to make connection, especially when you don't have really any other avenues outside of your maybe close friend group or family um, since the pandemic has really you know, close down a lot of those avenues that otherwise used to be available. So I do think that, you know, we've now taken it upon ourselves to say, okay, well, given this and given all the things people are going through, what can we do to actually help not just connect people, but really improve connection? And so we're really focusing on a lot of these types of, of um, concepts and opportunities, uh, more authenticity, more accountability. Um, how do we do that? So, yeah.
1: No, it's really impressive how, you were able to turn the situation into an opportunity, grow the team, grow usage of your product and still maintain those core values, as you are mentioning, authenticity and making sure that this is a, a real high quality connection between two humans. At the same time, one of the unique things about this product personally is that you are part of a, of a portfolio of uh, companies, a match group, and most, I, most or at least the ones that I know are also in the online dating space, correct me if I'm wrong,
2: yeah, no, no, you're, you're, um, you're, uh, you're correct for sure on that one. So
1: yeah, with the team, there is one of them and there are many others. So as a chief product officer, how do you go about making sure that you are delivering a unique experience for your user persona while maintaining certain consistency across the entire portfolio of companies?
2: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if consistency really is the goal here. So I think, you know, that was one of the things that when I first joined Hinge and I started kind of learning about the acquisition that, that happened in 2019. So it hasn't been that long. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's fairly recent um, for all intents and purposes, fairly recent. I know three years can feel like now, like, like a lifetime. Um, but, you know, the goal really is for every single app has their own unique value prop, their own unique audience that they're the thing that they're really trying to, to, trying to deliver on. Right. I think for, for Hinge, our goal and our audience is coming to us for intentioned dating to find a relationship. You know, every, every app has their own, their own spin on what their user coming for. You know, Bumble is women make the first move. Um, you know, Tinder is more, more recency, more active, you know, quick connection. So um, you know, we maintain our uniqueness and, and our goals, like focusing on our users. So what the benefit though, that I've actually, you know, seen and have experienced firsthand is I'm able to just ask other people and other parts of our, of our brand, you know, how are you solving this problem? How are you thinking about X, Y, and Z? Um, and able to share insights. And of, of course we had different audiences and different end goals. And so every insight might not be, um, as relevant in that same context, but it's another data point that I can use that my team can use to make more informed decisions. And so, you know, I think that's one been one of the one of the benefits. Um, but ultimately, the goal really is not for consistency. You know, it's keep on delivering on your core value prop and, and do that exceptionally well. Um, yeah,
1: that's a really um, unique expansion strategy for me because most of the product leaders, most of the products that I know, they start very specific with a feature, or a certain use case, and they expand, right? They try to become a platform with covering multiple use cases. In in your situation, you are so clear on your specific user persona. And based on what you're saying, your goal is not for people to now, you know, go to other apps even within the same group, right?
2: Sure. I mean, I guess, you know, our users and a user can, can really change dependent on the day, their, their experience from last week, like kind of what they're looking for. So I, I do think that, you know, we do see generally people are, you know, there's some data out there floating around, I think, you know, on two or more dating apps. And so that, that is common behavior. I guess the question is like, what's your primary app, right? What are you primarily uh, engaging with and, and looking for? And so you know, again, I think what we just try and do is deliver on our core value prop, ensure that every decision that we're making from product to design to engineering, is all laddering back up to that, that core mission, which is we want our dating app to be designed to be deleted. And so we wanna make sure that everything that we're building, every decision that we're making ladders back up to that so that A, we build user trust, but we also can deliver on that promise for our users. I mean, I, I tend to use like the traditional jobs to be done, right? And if our users are coming to us for a relationship and for meaningful connection, well, what can we do to deliver on that? Um, and I, that's the same way that that guides us like, where are we failing at that today? Um, and that will also help us uncover really unique opportunities that we might not uh, be focused on otherwise. If we're constantly chasing competitors or tr- constantly trying to integrate this or that or that new technology, right? There are things popping up all over the place every single day. But again, I, I, I think if you are true to what you're trying to deliver and your your users and your customers see that they'll build that trust they'll build up that rapport with you and they'll they'll come back so we're, we're just trying to continue to do that for sure
1: love that clarity um because it's so easy as you grow right to think about different expansion opportunities and lose a little bit of the focus that brought you here and in some cases it might work but in others they lose the entire experience um, so going kind of looking inside your own product organization how do you structure your own product team
2: yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I actually think organizational uh, strategy and, and structure is is not an easy thing. It's actually one of the things you constantly spend a lot of time evaluating and thinking about. Honestly, in my own role, that's where I spend a lot of my time. Um, are we set up the right ways? we have the right tools? Um, do we have the right processes and throughputs? So. You know our organization is structured in that, um, and I and I, look, I literally took a lot of you know my experiences from kayak and Spotify and Netflix and kind of said what like what do I like and not like about each of these structures and how might that then be applied to to Hinge, um, and I think one of the things that really resonates resonates with me is I really want to ensure that we create teams that feel fully empowered to. Come up with the ideas that they think are the most important to leverage and lean into the insights. Take all of that and then work collaboratively with their team without a lot of like hierarchy of you know top-down <laughs> uh, leadership delivering on um, what your your objectives are, what OKRs you need to go hit. So I, I really try to structure the teams with a lot of scope and autonomy. And so what that means is that you're not oriented around a specific surface or a button or a uh, you know, a particular feature, um, I really try to organize around outcomes. Uh, what are we trying to deliver and what do we think are the really important big opportunities or big outcomes and big bets that we want to continue to invest in both from a product perspective and from an organization perspective, and then form teams around that. Of course, the objectives and OKRs and, and, you know, um, problems they might, they might be focused on, could, could iterate, could change as more data and more insights come in. But really, their their purview is to solve things around, you know, profile innovation and really understand how do we bring people to life. And at the core of that, there's so many different ways you can bring people to life. What does that mean? But you have one person who's really able to lead that through and through and really feel empowered to create a long-term vision, a long-term roadmap around that versus here's a feature well, what happens if that feature ever hits hits its lifetime? Then you're going to have to figure out, well, where do you put that team and that person? So, you know, structurally, I I really try to empower the team. I I think that, um, you know, I I take something from previous organizations where we really treat the PM as the informed captain. You are both responsible for the direction of your ship, but also ensuring that everyone's working together and everyone understands where you're going. Um, And so that's really the organization there. And then, uh, again, one of the things that I've I've always – really, you know, has just urged me the wrong way is bring people into an organization and you don't have any staffing for them. That is something I've experienced before personally, and it is really hard as a product manager to get your job done when you don't have staffing. So, um, I mean, you don't have support, I mean, you don't have partnerships um, around you that can help you really execute on that vision and those, those objectives. So, that's the other thing is really ensuring that before we bring on new people or open up new areas of opportunity, that we have a plan for how we're going to fund those um, because there's nothing worse than being on board into an organization and then just sitting there trying to like beg, borrow, and steal to get into somebody else's roadmap.
1: Yeah. I know because uh, Spotify is actually very famous for how they were thinking about structuring teams in squads and tribes. And I know that Netflix is another world-class organization. So it's always interesting to see how each product leader thinks about structuring the team and then how it changes because whatever you're it's working for you today it might not be the same formula six 12 months from now
2: yeah no, absolutely we're already we're going through this again right so as we look, look for 2022 okay we're gonna keep on keep on growing keep on scaling what how do we need to reorganize to actually ensure that you know it becomes become less about the individual team then it actually becomes a, a, about the cross-team groups, the across the organization, right? How do we start to get information across to marketing, to our support teams, to brand, et cetera, right? And how do all of the teams work together? What processes and principles do we have in place? And so that's what we've been spending a lot of time now is, do we have the right visibility? Do we have the right communication tools um, to really unlock and enable us to do our best work?
1: Well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure to learn from you. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: No, I mean, I think this has been a phenomenal uh, conversation. I mean, and, and people can feel free to to link um with me on LinkedIn and you know, I'm always available for for questions or, you know, thought starters. I, you know, I love to I love product. I think that that's my my biggest um take away from my, my past, my careers. I really just love to like dig in with people and solve problems. And it's been really fun to be able to do a product, you know, a variety of different companies all serving, you know, the, that direct end consumer. Um, it's really where I drive my passion from. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Carlos. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Taking the time to write just a few sentences about what you love most about the show will help us improve it and reach even more product people around the world. And when you're done, why not reward yourself with some free product management content and resources over at productschool.com. Until next time, stay product-led.